Well, hello, church. It is good to be worshiping with you today as we continue to learn from Paul's letter to the Philippians about how to stay focused on the gospel and unified as a church no matter what happens. Before we jump into that, a few things just to keep you informed about that are going on about around here. I want to let you know about a men's ministry event. It's a Promise Keepers simulcast event that's coming up this coming Friday and Saturday. Uh, you can find information about, the, about it on the website. It's, it's a Zoom event, so you can participate wherever you are, and a group from First Christian Church is going to be participating. I hope you'll join me for that. You can look at my Facebook page for more details. Love to have you there for that. Also want to let you know about a staff transition that's coming up. Uh, one of the hardest things about being a church that's committed to sending people out into ministry is we have great people come and serve with us and then it's their time to go. Um, that's happening now for Alexander Greer, who served with us off and on the whole time I've been here and before. Alexander is awesome and a great friend, uh, but he'll be transitioning off our staff team on August 15th. Uh, we're going to miss Alexander and there'll be some times to say goodbye to him and bless him over the coming weeks, but if you see Alexander around, uh, make sure to tell him you love him and say hi to him. Uh, I, they'll still be in the area and we'll still, they'll still be a part of our FCC family, but they're transitioning off our team August 15th. All right, let's jump in uh, to this great letter. Uh, the occasion for this letter was that sometime around 60 AD, a messenger named Epaphroditus arrived in Rome to talk to Paul. He brought an offering from the church in Philippi to support Paul in prison. Because in that day, prisoners had to provide for their own food and their own care, or they could starve in prison. But more than that, he brought news of the persecution that was facing the Philippian church and the struggles within that young church. We don't know exactly how that first conversation went, but I think it was something like this. Oh, Paul, I'm so glad I found you. I heard that you were in prison. How are you? Well, Epaphroditus, it's so good to see you. Well, I, I am on death row and I'm likely to be executed any minute now, but I'm doing well because the gospel is being preached. Here in prison where I am and out on the streets of, the Rome, of Rome, Christ is being proclaimed. And what more could I want? <laughs> well, well, Paul, I, I guess I'm happy about that. Uh, uh, we heard you were hungry, so I, I brought a gift, some money from the church so that you could buy food and better care from the guards. Oh, Epaphroditus. That's so kind of you to think of me, um, and I will say thank you in the letter that I will write, but really, it wasn't necessary. You know, I know the secret to being hungry and poor. There's a, there's a secret, Paul? Well, yes, uh, of course there's a secret, and, and it won't be a secret for long, because I'll actually tell you the secret in the letter. What letter is that, Paul? Well, the letter I'm going to write, of course. You know I have to write a thank you note to the Philippian church for this gift. Oh, well, if, if you're going to write a letter, I probably should tell you what's happening in Philippi. You, you need to know the news. It isn't good news. Oh, well, Epaphroditus, yeah, tell me the news. Well, it's... it's been a hard time, actually, in Philippi lately. Oh, well, great. I can tell them how to handle that in the letter. Well, what do you mean you can tell them how to handle that? You don't even know what's happening. I, I didn't even tell you what's happening yet, Paul. How can you tell us how to handle what's happening if you don't know what's happening? Well, relax, Epaphroditus. I'm sure there'll be time for you to tell me what's happening. But in the letter, 
it won't matter much. Because what I want to tell the church isn't a what's happening kind of piece of advice. It's a whatever happens kind of advice. Anything else going on? Well, yeah, since you asked, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention it, but do you remember Eodia and Syntyche? Oh, of course. What wonderful partners in the gospel. I remember them so much and their leadership in the church. How are they doing? Well, Paul, to be honest, not well. They've had an argument, and it's it's a big one. They've been arguing for months. It's starting to affect the church. People are starting to choose sides, and we were hoping that you could help. Well, of course I'll help Epaphroditus. I know exactly what needs to be done. I'll put that in the letter, too. Well, Paul, uh, how can you know what needs to be done if if you don't know what they're fighting about? I mean, you say you're going to put in the letter the solution, but I haven't even told you yet what the argument is about. How can you settle an argument if you don't know what the argument is about? Well, Epaphroditus, I'm not going to settle the argument. They're going to do that. I'm just going to tell them how to settle the argument. Now, quick, grab a pen. You know what they say. It's embarrassing if a thank you note takes more than two months to arrive. So I want to get this one done and get you on your way. Or at least that's how I imagine that first conversation. Of course, we discover that Epaphroditus did not return quickly with the letter. In fact, he took sick. And it was many months before Paul's letter could make it back to the Philippian church. And so I'm sure that by the time he wrote it, he knew every detail of the suffering the Philippians were facing. And he knew all about the argument between Yodia and Syntyche, how it started, what it was about. But Philippians, unlike some of Paul's other letters, is not a letter for detailed responses, settling complicated issues. It is a whatever happens kind of letter. So when he writes to the whole church about whatever hard situation they were facing, he says to them, whatever happens, you stick together and advance the gospel. He says, whatever happens, the way you'll maintain unity is if you stay humble, if you put others' needs ahead of your own. He says, whatever happens, Jesus is more important and a bigger deal than anything you could accomplish in life. And then in chapter 4, he gets to the disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche. And there in just a few verses, he does the most remarkable thing. Look with me at these three verses, uh, just two verses rather. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. First, notice how in just those verses, the themes that have dominated the whole letter, the themes of unity and gospel are there together again. He says, I plead them, be of the same mind. Why? So that they can continue to work for the cause of the gospel. But to really notice what Paul is doing here, we have to first notice what Paul doesn't do here. Paul does not settle the disagreement. 
He never tells us who was right and who was wrong. And Paul was a man of strong opinions. He probably had a hunch who was right and who was wrong. Paul doesn't even weigh in on the issue. He doesn't kind of give some sort of theological background. In fact, he never in this text reveals what the issue is. Now, surely the Philippian church knew what they were fighting about, knew what the disagreement was about, but Paul doesn't mention it. He never weighs in on it. He just reminds them of the significance of Jesus and that Jesus is Lord. Kids, I know a lot of you kids are out here watching this with your parents here, sitting on the living room couch maybe. Tell me if you've ever had this happen, okay? You're fighting with somebody. Maybe it's a sibling or a friend on the playground. and It doesn't matter what you're fighting about. A parent or a teacher or a grandparent comes over and says, hey, hey, stop fighting. And you respond, but, but they did this and they did this and they did this and, and, the, and they don't want to hear it. They say, I don't care. I don't care who did what, to whom or when. I just want the fighting to stop now. And that's kind of Paul's argument. Now, he doesn't say he's in charge. He says Jesus is in charge. And he's saying, you all have got to stop fighting because the one who is in charge has a mission for you to advance. He calls them those who have contended with him for the gospel. And all this energy spent fighting about whatever you're fighting about is, is making you disobedient to Jesus who has said to advance the gospel. And then in verse 3, he does this remarkable thing. He turns to the whole community. This would have been a public letter. So publicly, he's telling them, quit fighting, agree in the Lord. And then he turns to the whole community and he says, I want you to be their allies in unity. I ask you to help those women as they work toward unity and work to the gospel. And that's interesting to me too because that is different than our instinct, isn't it? Our instinct when we see two people fighting or we see a, a battle lines being drawn between two camps and two arguments, our instinct is to study the argument so we can pick which side we're going to fight on. You know, like little kids on a playground who, who line up around, a, around a, a fight going on and they all chant, fight, 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 and one's on one side and one's on the other side, right? Kids, you got to know something. We adults don't grow out of that tendency very easily. It might look different when adults do it, but we face the same temptation. The same temptation to jump in on one side or the other. When we see an argument, our tendency is to try to decide who's right and then join that side of the argument. And Paul says, no, I am counting on the community to adopt a different strategy. To instead of first asking who's right, first ask who's in charge. Oh, right, Jesus is in charge. And what has Jesus asked us to do? Oh, right, stick together and advance the gospel. To first focus on that, on unity and gospel. And only then, in the context of a commitment to unity and the gospel, obviously sometimes disagreements have to be dealt with and discussed. But only after we as a people have reaffirmed our commitment to the gospel. Maybe you're even wondering right now, what if they were disagreeing about something really important? I think we can assume that they were disagreeing about something really important, right? Like if it wasn't something really important, would Epaphroditus have remembered to tell Paul about it? And would Paul have mentioned it in his letter? 
Like if this wasn't a big deal, it wouldn't have been in the letter at all. But even disagreeing about something really important You can look at Romans 14. Paul writes to the Roman church with the same thing. They were disagreeing about really important stuff, like how do we keep the Sabbath and what do you do about idols? Even there, so Paul says, the unity of the church and the gospel is more important than what you're disagreeing about. Remember from last week, we had that image, right? Of all the stuff, all this important stuff, like religion and politics and nation and family and morality. And Jesus was more important than all of it. And that's what Paul says to Yodia and Syntyche. Agree in the Lord. Not agree on the issue. That may not be possible. But they can agree on who their Lord is. And that means they can stay unified for the gospel, even while the discussion, probably the important discussion, keeps going about whatever important matter they disagreed on. How can they do that? Well, it's because they know they are on the same team. And the, the captain of the team... Uh, The owner of the team, the Lord of the team, has said, uh, we're not going to let that disagreement slow us down. We've got to stay focused on the gospel. And since the team we're on is a victorious team, is a winning team, we can do more than stay unified. I love where Paul goes right from this discussion of unity in the church and how how disunity can be overcome by focusing on the Lordship of Christ. He goes right into this great section. Look at these next few verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness to be evident to all. How could that be possible? How could we rejoice all the time? Well, he tells us. Because the Lord is near. Jesus makes it possible. He goes on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Again, I'm thinking, how can that be possible? How can we not be anxious about anything, but just said, just turn it over in prayer and thanksgiving? Well, he tells us, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, you put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It's so important that we notice that these verses are not some sort of theological fluff or nice idea. They are an intentional, specific strategy that Paul is giving you. If you want to know how to rejoice all the time and not be anxious, give everything over to God, let the unity of the church be a bigger deal than whatever you disagree with by other Christians about, If you want to know how to do that, Paul, this isn't just some nice idea, some fluffy notion of, you know, kind of Christian spirituality that Paul's put out there. He's going to give you the strategy for how to accomplish it. He says the strategy is to decide that you're going to think about the right stuff. Keep your attention on the right stuff. Paul's saying whatever happens, we can stick together and advance the gospel if we will Focus on Jesus. Notice every part of chapter 4, that's his argument. Yodia and Syntyche, agree by focusing on who your Lord is. Rejoice always by focusing on how near God is. Do not be anxious by focusing on the peace of God. And then he just says it to us straight up. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, you think about that. So, I want to be super clear. 
Paul here is not trying to teach you a spiritual idea. He's trying to teach you a spiritual strategy, a thing you could do. I, I, I just want to challenge you. If somebody were to analyze your day, what is your brain focused on? What is it that you are thinking about? What tools of focus are you thinking about? I had a habit for a while that I, I didn't even notice it snuck up on me, but I had a habit where every morning when I first woke up and right before I went to bed and on my lunch break and when I first got off work and a couple times in the afternoon, I would check to see what people were talking about on Twitter. That was just what I would do. Every morning when I woke up, every time I took a break, while I was at lunch, when I got off work, a couple times in the evening, right before I went to bed, I would check to see what people were talking on Twitter. So it'd be like if verse eight said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is on Twitter, 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 and whatever is on Twitter, that's what Ethan thinks about. You might have a habit like that too. Maybe it's, maybe it's not Twitter, maybe it's Facebook or your email inbox or it's the local news or it's your favorite one of the 24-hour news stations, you know, whatever, or it's, what, what is it that you are training your mind to? Maybe it's the latest COVID updates and I'm not saying we can ignore the COVID updates, we gotta pay attention. But if that's all your mind is on, I'm just telling you, the God of peace is not gonna rule in your heart, you know? You will not be not anxious about anything if that's what you're training your mind on. Paul here is trying to be super strategic. He's saying each of us, and this is what I want you to listen to, each of us need an intentional strategy to discipline our minds to Jesus. So I'm just asking what's yours. If you already know what it is, that's awesome. I know a guy since he was 19 years old, he's in his 60s now, he's been getting up at 5 a.m., make a cup of coffee, read the Bible, and pray till about a quarter to six. And then he gets ready for change and dressed and ready for his day and goes to work. Been doing that for almost 50 years. That will focus your mind on Jesus. He's one of the steadiest, most peaceful, most God-honoring men I know. And that's why he has focused his mind on Jesus, just like Paul said. Maybe that strategy won't work for you, but I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have a strategy to focus your mind on these things, like Paul says here, your mind will be focused on something else, and it will have the results that that leads to. Paul's almost finished with his letter. He's almost finished with this great letter that's designed to teach us one central thing. Whatever happens, stick together and advance the gospel. When he does finish, he finishes with the nicest things. He says this, oh, in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am already supplied now with what I have received from Epaphroditus and the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I love this little snippet, what we learn about Christian generosity. We learn that Christian generosity advances the mission. We learn that Christian generosity is rooted in what God gives us and that we can't outgive God. We learn that giving is worship. It's a, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that pleases God. We learn that giving flows out of how much we trust God to provide and flows out of our commitment to God's work. It's like Paul saying, you know you're trusting God when you give and you know you're committed to God's work when you give. I love, he just ends with just this, this worship and thanksgiving for their generosity. But before he gets to that, before he finishes with his thank you note, he has to tell them the secret. Remember the one Paul told Epaphroditus about? The one he said that he knew the secret so Epaphroditus didn't have to worry about whether he was hungry or not? He tells it to him in verse 10 through 13. Let's listen. I rejoiced greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this, though, because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. That verse, Philippians 4.13, it's one of the most confused verses in the Bible, which is a bummer because it's a great verse. Uh, kids, uh, you might have been asked to memorize this verse. When I was a kid, somebody challenged me to memorize this verse. And the translation they gave me is put it this way. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I didn't, I didn't learn the verses before. And I just learned that one verse, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that verse sounded awesome to me. But when I actually pushed into it a little bit, it was super disappointing. Because even though that verse said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, I couldn't fly. I couldn't turn them invisible. In fact, since the third grade, I couldn't even see without my glasses. I remember one time as a little kid, one of my Sunday school teachers was challenging us to recite this as a memory verse. And I got a little, you know, cantankerous. And I said, well, if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, why can't I fly? Why can't I walk through the door right there out into the hall and go play in the hall? She wasn't sure. She liked that question and we kind of moved on. And so I memorized the verse like I was supposed to and the verse sounded so cool, but also it sort of sounded like it wasn't true. And whether you're a kid or an adult, you might have done the same thing with this verse. You might have been taught the verse or memorized the verse or had a poster with the verse or cross-stitched it onto a pillow, but in your heart, you knew the promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, was too good to be true because you couldn't fly. You knew that somehow it was promising too much. And so you wondered, does it actually promise anything at all? Like if, if it promises too much, is there any promise left there? 
Well, I've got good news for you about this great verse. The verse never meant to promise you could fly. And then this verse actually isn't even hyperbole. Like, it's not like it implies you can fly, but we say, well, it doesn't mean fly. No, 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 no. If we get this verse right, it means exactly what it says. This verse is a clear, specific, and reliable promise. And it's the secret that Paul wants you to know. Let's look at the verses again. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Very literally, we could translate it this. In all this stuff, I am able, or in all this stuff, I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. That is the secret Paul wants everybody to know for how you can handle whatever you are going through today. By the power of Christ in you, you can make it through today until tomorrow and make it through tomorrow until the day after, until the storm has passed. Kids, when you have a bad day at school, you can say to yourself, you can claim this promise and it's reliable and specific and true. You can claim, in all this, I am able. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. Parents, when all these COVID restrictions are driving you crazy and you can't figure out how to take one step forward, you can claim this very specific and very reliable promise. By the power of Christ, I can handle it through Christ who gives me strength. When there's plenty, Christ teaches us what to do with plenty, doesn't it? He teaches us to share it. And when there is not enough, Christ teaches us what to do when there is not enough. He teaches us to trust God's provision. It is this secret, it's this secret of the provision and power of Christ. When we discipline ourselves, like he says, to focus our attention on Jesus, and I want you to hear that challenge. If you don't have a strategy to every day focus your attention on Jesus, you won't make it whatever happens. It's this secret and this strategy to focus on Jesus that allowed Paul way back in the beginning, all the way in chapter one where we started, to say with clear confidence, whatever happens, I know you. You will stand firm, unified in one spirit, and you will work together as one to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And the whole letter of Philippians is laser-focused on those two pillars of our lives that must be present whatever happens. The unity of God's people, the priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get to proclaim and we get to trust in whatever happens. Let's pray.
Gracious God, like Yodia and Syntyche, let us hear the reminder to put you above everything that would divide us, to put our submission to your lordship above every confusing circumstance that would tear us apart. God, like Paul, let us commit to think on what is good and noble and pure and lovely, knowing that as we discipline our minds to, to, to think on Jesus and to invest in Jesus every day, we are strengthening ourselves for the struggle around us. God, teach us the secret to be able to handle, to be content in all circumstance. The secret, which now is no secret, to simply trust our circumstance to Jesus Christ. So that we might have the same confidence Paul does. That as your people, whatever happens, we would stick together and advance your gospel for the glory of your name until Christ returns in whose name we pray, amen.